Game Changer, Episode 8, featuring Rajat Paharia of Bunchball. Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today. Using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy, and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. I am Jesse Leahy, and our guest today is Rajat Paharia, the founder and chief product officer of Bunchball. He is the author of Loyalty 3.0, How to Revolutionize Customer and Employee Engagement with Big Data and Gamification, which is scheduled for publication in June 2013 and is available for pre-order right now. Back in 2005, when almost no one had heard of gamification, Rajat Paharia founded Bunchball. Since then, Bunchball has helped engage customers and motivate employees at a wide variety of companies, including Toyota, T-Mobile, and ESPN. Rajat, welcome to Game Changer. Thanks. Happy to be here. Rajat, you have been around longer than almost anyone I, I'm aware of in this still emerging space called gamification. What kinds of changes have you seen since 2005 when you really got serious about it and in 2007 when you launched Bunchball? Yeah, I mean, the, the industry has transformed dramatically, right? Back in 2007, when we first created our Nitro gamification platform and we're selling it to people, it was a really hard sell. We had to be very evangelical and very educational because nobody knew what we were talking about, number one. And number two, everybody had other things on their priority list. You know, usually what happens is there's some kind of giant consumer uh, example of something going on and everybody kind of rushes to that. So MySpace explodes in 2005 and everybody wants social for their websites. And then after a couple of years, that stuff actually makes its way into the enterprise. And then a couple of years later, YouTube explodes and then everybody needs video. And so like these big explosions in, in kind of technology and concepts cause everybody to put those things at the top of their lists. And gamification wasn't on anybody's list because nothing had exploded for those first several years. It wasn't until 2010 when Farmville and Foursquare exploded that all of a sudden gamification got on people's lists. And they said, okay, clearly this works. We're seeing it motivate hundreds of millions of people. We should understand this and figure out how it applies to our business. And so then you started seeing more and more stuff happening in the consumer space. And then what happened in late 2010, early 2011, my company, Bunchball, which has been really kind of at the forefront of pushing this methodology into new areas, started focusing on employee motivation, taking this stuff not just on consumer sites to motivate members of loyalty programs and fans of TV shows and people engaging with marketing campaigns and community members. We said, let's take it into inside a company and use it to motivate sales performance and help desk performance and training and collaboration and compliance. 
All these things that companies are buying software platforms in order to enable and drive among their employee base to help them be more effective and perform better. Gamification can help amplify the effects of those software programs, things like Salesforce.com and Jive and IBM Connections and SAP and others like that. And so we started doing that in 2011. We actually built an app on the Salesforce.com platform that won best new app on the Force.com platform that year. And has since been uh, purchased by a bunch of major companies. And after that, it kind of that started the ball rolling. We started signing partnerships, great partnerships with companies like Jive and IBM and others. And so kind of the big transition points that have happened, 2007, we created this. Nobody knew what we were talking about. Nobody really cared. <laughs> 2010, uh, all of a sudden that hits. And uh, you know, with Farmville and Foursquare, all of a sudden, a lot of people start caring about it, especially in the consumer space. And you know, investors start pouring money into the space. There's been over $100 million poured in at this point because they see opportunity. And then in 2011, we pushed it into the enterprise for employee motivation. And that's actually kind of the fastest growing part of our business right now. We still have a great business in the consumer space, but in this employee space, we're finding a tremendous amount of interest and traction. Yeah, and that's particularly interesting to our listeners on Game Changer because it's totally focused on employee gamification. How did you ever talk to business leaders about this topic back before 2010? Were you already using the term gamification back then? When we first started, we had been a social gaming company that had transitioned or pivoted. That's the word, you know, the word du jour. We had pivoted into being a gamification <laughs> company. But, and so we were trying to get people away from this concept that we were a company that was about games. So for a while, we tried not to use the word game in anything we talked about. We were talking about driving behavior, about motivation. I tried to coin this term web catalytics. That was like, you know, analytics is about analyzing behavior. Catalytics is about driving it. And, uh, and none of that stuck. And so then after a couple of years, we figured people forgotten that we had used to do games and we started using game mechanics. And, uh, and then I heard um, a guy I know named Barry Kirk, who used to work at a loyalty company, but now works here with us. And he was using this term gamification. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. I like that because game mechanic sounds like it could be a person. It could be a thing. Like, what is it? It's a noun, right? It, and, it's, and it's hard to understand what that really is. And also it has like multiple meanings, like a game mechanic can be, you know, I, I bid that I'm going to get a certain number of points at the beginning of the hand and if I get it, I'm, I, I win. Like that's a game mechanic. So I heard this term gamification and I'm like, well, that's really interesting because number one, uh, it implies a transformational process that something already exists and that is being converted and transformed. And number two, it's not a noun, right? It is this transformational thing. And so... We started using that. I bought the domain name, gamification.com, for nine bucks because nobody was using it in 2009. <laughs> and, uh, and we started using that term. And then uh, there's a guy named Gabe Zickerman who's been doing conferences and writing books. And mm-hmm. he started using the term. And then that's the term that stuck. And that's the term that has taken off. And so it's been a, an interesting ride. It's kind of a, you know, honestly, it's the it's double-edged sword of a term. Like any, any term is that tries to capture an entire kind of methodology or concept you know, the key thing to know about gamification is it's not about games at all. Games are something that you start with a blank slate and you create something whose whole purpose is to entertain. And that's not what we do in the slightest. Our whole goal is driving business results 
using the data-driven motivational techniques that video game designers have used. So there's something to be learned from games and transported over, but it's not the entertainment part. It's not the fun part. It is the data-driven motivational techniques that they use. And, you know, smart companies have been doing this forever, right? Like in loyalty programs and in Mint and education, like anywhere. And, and so it's not new. What is new is the fact that we have transitioned more and more of our lives online. And because of that, all our activity is trackable and can be used the raw material for a loyalty and engagement program, as opposed to the old days when it just used to be kind of purchase data or you had this whole kind of black box of work that happened uh, very ad hoc and informally in paper and in email. Now it's all happening in systems like Salesforce and Jive and SAP and IBM and can be tracked and therefore can be utilized to motivate people. And so that's kind of the huge thing that is the shift that has occurred that has enabled all this to happen right now. So you're saying the, the work world has used game principles for a long time, but there's a difference in how it's being applied today. And, and I've also heard you talk about how some of those differences are the ability to scale and to be automated. But now, and you're, the way you're talking about being data-driven, that's, a, that's an interesting difference today, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, we're all leveling up in the workplace. You start out as like, you know, I started out as a junior software engineer and then software engineer, then senior, then director. Like we're leveling up. We're competing for scarce resources. We celebrate major milestones with parties or T-shirts or our certificates. I uh, got employee of the month. I mean, like the work world and then we have a score, which is our salary, right? Like it's already uh, using this, all, all this stuff, but it's just in a very ad hoc manner. And so what this stuff does is it automates it. All this data is there now for the taking. I mean, think about this, like this is, um, this blows my mind, right? That Amazon knows more about your employees than you do. <laughs> Netflix knows more about your employees than you do. And Facebook knows more about your employees than you do. And that's because they look at everything that those employees are doing when they interact with their systems and they use that data, that user activity data, in order to drive value for the business, in order to make the customer experience better, in order to increase the lifetime value of that customer. And all they're doing is using this user activity data that people generate as they interact with the site. And, uh, and then you flip into the workplace where you're going to get like, orders of magnitude, you know, 100 times as much value out of this person who is working for you 10, 12, 14 hours a day, whatever. And they're working in your systems and all that same data is being thrown off and it's going into the ether. Nobody's looking at it. Nobody's paying any attention to it and nobody's using it to make that employee perform better, to drive their lifetime value to the company, to drive more revenue for the business and to make the work experience better for the employee huge, huge opportunity. And so gamification takes all that data, makes it visible to everybody, and then gives you the tools to drive behavior change around it. I think it's a massive, massive opportunity in the employee space for gamification. Yeah, that's interesting. When you think about the examples you cited, Facebook and Amazon and Netflix, people get nervous when they think about the fact that those companies are collecting data about them. But you are ultimately you decide no it's still worth it to me because i can see that they are serving me better as a result and most people probably right now don't trust their employers enough to have tons and tons of data on them but i think as we move forward and as companies make the right decisions on how to use data 
properly to benefit the employee and basically make their work better and their work life better, probably a lot of those fears will be eased. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, the data is already there, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not being utilized. I mean, you're already like, I'm, I'm at work. We have a collaboration system we use. We have a Salesforce automation system we use. We have an expense reporting system we use. And every time I use it, it's throwing off data. My company just happens to be ignoring it because they don't really know what to do with it. Right. Uh, but once, and, and so I, I, there's no new data being tracked as we do more and more of our work online. It's just a byproduct of that is that it's all trackable now. Um, but I think, uh, Absolutely what you're saying, that if companies can demonstrate that they can take that data and use it to make everybody's life better, managers, employers, the company, then there's huge benefits to be gained. Now, one of the things that makes Bunchball different from other gamification solutions is you are a platform provider as opposed to a vertical solution that, let's say, just has a, a wellness application. Your products are available across the board. And some of those products are really being used by other software website companies to gamify their applications that they make available to customers. But uh, tell us what you have available for an employer to actually purchase from Bunchball. Sure. So we have our core Nitro platform, which is basically a really flexible web services engine that can be integrated into anything that can talk to the internet. And so um, that, that we sell that primarily in the consumer space because in the consumer space there isn't any kind of well-established platform that anybody builds on, but also in the employee space because people have custom LMSs that they've built, custom Salesforce automation, custom intranet portals that they've built on SharePoint, and they need something that they can integrate with those really quickly and easily. So that's our, our kind of uh, base offering, this core platform, which is a set of web services, APIs, widgets, uh, and, and rules engine, and a, a a studio where you can configure all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, what we've built is pre-built integrations into several very popular enterprise software platforms. So we've pre-built an integration into salesforce.com called Nitro for Salesforce, and that is available for purchase off the App Exchange, and you can download it and install it in minutes, right? Because we've pre-built all the hooks and all the integration. The same thing with Jive software, so we've embedded with them and their sales team sells it as the Jive gamification module, and Jive customers can turn it on, and it's just up and running with all the pre-built integration done, uh, an out-of-the-box set of missions to drive activity and reputation in the system, and customers have seen great results with that. Eloqua recently announced that in their top liners community, their customer community, they saw an immediate 55% lift in activity. They saw more people answering each other's questions and so an increase in call deflection and a bunch of other good results. And then we've integrated with IBM's Connections platform, uh, another social collaboration platform, and we have several others on deck. And so those are almost like turnkey, right? You can buy them and get them deployed in anywhere from like minutes to hours as opposed to here we're giving you this web services engine and you'll need to figure out how to integrate it and where that can take weeks essentially because there's development work involved. Just a quick pause from this interview with Rajat Paharia from Bunchball to tell listeners about a game we're playing to have some fun throughout this series. First, we're giving away a copy of Rajat's book, Loyalty 3.0, How to Revolutionize Customer and Employee Engagement with Big Data and Gamification. To enter to win the book, go to the LinkedIn group for Game Changer 
and provide a comment on the discussion I've started about episode 8 featuring Rajat and Bunchball. To make it easy, we'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group if you go to engagingleader.com forward slash group or follow the link in our show notes. We'll pick a winner at random from the first 50 commenters. You can leave any comment, but you'll look really cool if your comment mentions the approximate year that you first had any awareness of gamification and whether you'd prefer hard copy or a Kindle ebook if you win. Also, this episode's clue for the Game Changer Series Prize is the letter T as in Tango. There will be other tasks and clues in each of the first 14 episodes in the Game Changer Series, as well as in Engaging Leader Podcast Episode 38 featuring Kevin Werbach. From those 15 clues, if you can be the first person to guess the secret phrase, you'll win a $100 gift card from Amazon. And everyone who guesses it correctly will be honored on our Game Changer Genius Board. Let's say we're looking at implementing it for a company's learning management system or their internet or SharePoint, as you talked about. What is that experience like for the user? What are they going to see that's different from, let's say, having the the learning management system without Nitro? They'll basically see their existing content, but it'll be wrapped in this layer of gamification, and that layer will help motivate them and move them through the content and make it more engaging and compelling. So an example I can give you, this isn't an LMS, but it's a good, uh, I think, example of the concept. Adobe has this product called Photoshop, and a very complex piece of software, also a relatively expensive piece of software for consumers. And during the 30-day free trial, they knew that a lot of people were getting stuck, like, right away. You'd open up Photoshop, and you'd see kind of this blank white canvas and 10,000 <laughs> panels, menus, and buttons, and you'd have no idea what to do. And so then what was the likelihood that you would buy at the end of your 30-day free trial when you were kind of, you know, in the middle of the desert? And it was, you know, it wasn't where they wanted it to be. And so we worked with them and created this plugin for Photoshop called Level Up. And so this is an opt-in plugin that people could download. And basically, uh, it, it walked people through learning. The hypothesis here was if we can get people exposed to 12 key pieces of functionality in Photoshop, red-eye removal, object removal, teeth whitening, etc., getting them uh, a sense of mastery and fluency at using the tools and getting them to learn by doing rather than just reading or watching videos, then the likelihood that they will buy at the end of the 30 days will be much higher. And so we worked with them and said, okay, let's create these 12 missions. Each mission you have to learn one of these key pieces of functionality. You are earning points as you do those. Uh, you unlock badges when you hit certain milestones. These 12 missions are split across three levels, and you can't do any level two missions until you do level one. So you're gaining access to relevant content, and you're continually doing that. And what this does is all of a sudden it frames this learning into something completely different and something that compels people. They want to do it. Level one, mission one, right? Like remove red eye from a photo. You do it. You feel good. You get the immediate positive feedback and reinforcement. You see the progress bar moved up. You unlock the badge. You've earned some points. You're like, great. I can keep going and I can do this. And nearly 40% of the people that uh, opted into this program made it all the way through all the levels. And they saw a 4x increase in number of people buying the product at the end of the 30-day free trial. So as a way of taking existing learning content, they'd always had 
videos and tutorials, but people just weren't going through it because it wasn't compelling, number one. And number two, because I think kind of the existing learning model is kind of broken, right? It's typically a learn and then do model. Like go through the training course, read the manual, and then at some future point, maybe apply what you've learned. And this flips it around and becomes the do and then learn model. Here is your mission. Remove this object from this photo. And we're going to give you some instructions here. Try to do it. If you can, great. If you can't, click here. We will take you to all the tutorial and video content that's always been there, but that wasn't compelling to go through. But now you're doing it in a very directed fashion. This learning that you're doing right now is helping you accomplish a goal. And because of that, it's much more powerful and much more sticky. Right? Whenever I as an engineer, when I learn a new programming language, I don't just like pick up the Python book and read it. I have a project in my head. And then mm -hmm. everything I'm learning is in service of how do I get this project done. And so therefore, it becomes much more sticky and it feels like I'm accomplishing and achieving something as I'm learning. So it's not about changing the core content at all, right? It's just about wrapping it in this frame that makes it much more interesting and compelling to go through. That's really helpful to understand how the user will experience it. Now, how about the administrator? That sort of configuration that you're talking about, is that something that an administrator eventually is able to do on their own, or does that require a bunchball employee or a consultant working with them? No, it doesn't require us at all. We have a, a really great uh, product called Nitro Studio, which we just released. So we've had a, something we call the Nitro Administrative Console for years, which is where our customers went in and configured things. And it was good. It was very functional, but it was also very kind of, you know, uh, tech looking, right? It's just very mm -hmm. form based and developers loved it. Business people <laughs> took a little bit of training and they got on it. But we've recently announced Nitro Studio, which is basically I've completely rethought that whole thing, made it super slick, easy to use, drag and drop, HTML5, responsive designs, so can work on iPads and stuff. And it, it's made it drop dead simple to go in and create and manage your own program. And the whole goal there was more and more our product is being embedded in other people's products, right? We're not going to a company and selling them a gamification engine to use kind of on its own. They've bought Salesforce.com and they want to drive sales behavior. So now the user is the VP of sales or the head of sales ops. They've bought Jive and they want to drive participation and collaboration quantity in their customer community. And so now we're working with the community owner or we're working with the travel manager or you're working with uh, you know, the community manager, whoever it is. Those people don't want a complex tool. They want something that's really easy that they can get up to speed with, like with minimal training. And so we have this Nitro Studio, which all our customers have access to, where they can go in and really quickly create the rules, create the rewards, create the real-time feedback, all that kind of stuff. And it's immediately live on the site. And what's the cost structure for an employer who wants to implement that? Typically, it's, it's kind of a per user per month type thing. Uh, what we'll typically do is align. It, it, it depends on what we're selling. But if we're selling one of those turnkey products, we'll try to align with the platform vendor's pricing so it becomes really easy. right? You're paying X amount of dollars per year for Salesforce. Well, we'll tack on you know 10 to 20% of that or for Jive or for IBM, whatever. And so then it becomes really easy to buy. If we're selling our just platform into a company, then it will be on some sort of like per uh, seat or per user per month type uh, pricing. Okay. Can you give us a sense of what that's like so our listeners can know if, if this is in the right ballpark for them? Yeah, so typically we go after the Fortune 1000 companies. Mm -hmm. You know, we've experimented in the SMB space and, and that hasn't... Uh, 
been fruitful for us for various reasons. We're still learning, but right now we're targeted more on bigger accounts. And so I think our, our I could be wrong here. <laughs> I'm not involved in the in the, all the pricing discussions, but I think our, our minimum pricing is in the $15,000 a year range. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's really helpful. And then also, if, if someone is thinking about implementing a program that where Nitro is a component, if it's one of the turnkey solutions that you're talking about, it's likely going to add maybe 10 or 20% to the cost. Yeah, exactly. And, and there the pricing varies depending on the partner and how they charge. Do you have any other uh, data or case studies or stories that you can share to, to help make the business case? Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on the um, use case, what people are actually using it for. So whether it's a contact center or whether it's a um, sales performance application, you know, some of the stats, Aberdeen just did a study on gamification in sales teams, and they saw that companies that used this, uh, used gamification in their sales teams, saw an increase in annual revenue versus ones that didn't, an increase in the average deal size, an increase in lead closure rates, an increase in lead conversion rates. They saw customer renewal rates were higher. More reps were achieving quota. The sales cycle dropped. Sales person time to productivity was lower and uh, churn was lower as well. So kind of across the board, really good results on sales teams. And that's from a, a neutral third party. There was also a company called LiveOps, a distributed call center company, and they recently wrote an article on Management Exchange where they talked about some of the results they had seen. So they have 20,000 work-at-home call center agents that are answering calls uh, or making outbound calls for various customers. And after introducing gamification, they saw service levels improve by about 10%, time to handle a customer inquiry decrease by almost 15%, a sales performance improvement of 8 to 12%, and they decreased onboarding time from four weeks of classroom training to 14 hours. So we have a, you know, a great customer roster now, and you know, we're a subscription business. Our customers uh, have to renew every year, and they only renew if they're seeing results. And so we have a lot of good case studies and results at this point as well. Rajat, you have a new book that's just about to be released, Loyalty 3.0. What is the gist of that book? You know, we've been thinking about this a lot and, you know, gamification, as we talked about earlier, not about games at all. And so games are kind of the wrong frame to look at this industry through. And whenever you have the wrong frame, that always makes things hard, right? The analogies don't work. The metaphors don't work. The strategies don't work. And so the the game frame, you're talking about fun and about entertainment, and that's not what your business is about. So the right frame, you know, after having done this now for six years, the right frame for this market is the loyalty or at least the word loyalty, right? That has its own issues, though, in that the word loyalty has been kind of bastardized and come to mean something that is not loyalty. It has come to mean, uh, when you think about loyalty, you think about like frequent flyer programs or uh, (laughs) buy 10, get one free punch cards. And what those do is they, number one, they're focused completely on customers. And number two, they generate loyalty to the deal, not to the actual business, right? So if Somebody's going to give me 2% back on my credit card. Somebody else is going to give me 3%. Like, I'm gone. I'm going to the 3%. I have no loyalty to the business. It's purely a transactional relationship. So loyalty 1.0, kind of the existing state of things, is this gigantic failure. Even though companies are spending billions of dollars on it, and it's like kind of table stakes in their industry, 
Loyalty 2.0 came out in the 90s, and that was basically one-to-one marketing. So now let's take some data about our users, uh, you know, interests that we can determine based on things that they've told us or magazines that they subscribe to, and use that to try and focus our message much better. And it was primarily implemented via direct mail and email marketing. And that worked for a while, but then the volume of all that stuff increased to such a level that no, none of us could pay attention to it anymore. And so all that stuff now is just drowning in noise and lost in the onslaught. And then after that, like nothing really happened. And so what Loyalty 3.0 says is, look, number one, it's time to take back the word loyalty and actually make it mean something, right? Which is to mean that you've transcended the transactional relationship with somebody and made it a re- uh, made it something more. You've engaged them. And so they will resist competitive offers. They will continue to patronize you and your business, whether they're a customer, an employee, or a partner. So that's number one. Number two is, um, let's take the, these three kind of uh, forces that are colliding here. One is this kind of latest understanding of what motivates people. So there's a whole chapter in the book on human motivation and what drives that. Number two, this big data on user activity that is now available. Loyalty 1.0 programs were all about transactions. You have one data stream coming in, one constituent being served, which was customers. Now we have big data on everybody's activity, not just your customers, but your employees and your partners anytime they do anything. And that can be the raw material of a next generation loyalty program that serves all three constituents, employees, partners, and customers. And then finally, combining all that data and this latest understanding of motivation with the data-driven motivational techniques from games, which is gamification, and all of a sudden you have this really powerful engine that you can use to drive activity, participation, engagement, loyalty, and a competitive advantage for your business. So that's what this book is about, and so that's why, and that's why we put, you know, the title is not a gamification book. It's about loyalty and about taking back that word and using it to actually generate true loyalty to your business using all this data that you now have available. That's really interesting. Do you think that the employee-employer relationship has also gone through three generations of loyalty? You know, it's it's become, I, I don't know, that's a really good question. So when we were kind of coming up with the 3.0, we were mostly thinking about consumer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'd have to think about that. But that's an interesting question about how that has transitioned or changed over time, too, from kind of a you work here for life type mentality mm-hmm. to a much more free, free agent, I'm jumping around mentality to a point where we're now, the competitive advantage is going to be the companies that can keep the institutional knowledge in their company uh, so it doesn't walk out every two years, right? And keep those people resistant to competitive offers, continuing to do the best that they possibly can, and to think with like the company's best interests in mind. So yeah, I think actually that is a good kind of uh, a parallel model to think about. Yeah, I would agree. I, I was I was about to start saying some of the same things you you just said about how the relationship has changed and gone from where it was a a lifetime contract to whereas it's similar to the consumer being loyal only to the deal. There there's definitely been a, a long time where employees have only been loyal to the deal, uh, which we would call the employee value proposition. To when you look at the best companies today, you see a lot of employees who wouldn't leave even if a really great offer came to them. And similarly, the company wouldn't yeah. want to let them leave. It's, a, it's such a win-win to stay together. Yep, exactly. Rajat, how can someone find out more about Bunchball and Nitro or take the next step? 
Yeah, visit our website at bunchball.com, and you can also uh, follow our Twitter account at bunchball. And there's a lot of great white papers and videos and other uh, great materials that we've put together to help educate customers and prospects on this field. Rajat Paharia is founder and chief product officer of Bunchball. He is the author of Loyalty 3.0, How to Revolutionize Customer and Employee Engagement with Big Data and Gamification, scheduled for publication June 2013. Rajat, thank you for joining us on Game Changer. Thanks for having me. And we'll also provide Rajat's contact information and a link to his book in our show notes, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash GC8 as in Game Changer Episode 8. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group. Subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at facebook.com slash engagingleader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music. 